This from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 39. Please now hear the word of the Lord. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that word. Thank you, Holy Father, that you call us into worship. And in these moments where we are met together in Christ, please, Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our Redeemer, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, you may have noticed, nationally speaking, that we are in the season of promise, right? The air is thick with promise. And whether you're running for the president of the PTA or the president of the USA, it is not uncommon for promises to be made, right? Big ones and small ones. Maybe you're not even a candidate, but you've become the CEO of something, or you've uh, turned into the Bible study leader or whatever, and you are prone to promise. Now, as the recipients of a promise, though, the listeners, the, re the receivers of a promise, isn't it true, if we think about it for a second, that we tend to sort of evaluate that based on, in part at least, the one making the promise, right? And we think to ourselves, now, that's great to be talking about a chicken in every pot, but actually, does the person making the promise have the ability to keep the promise? Can you actually give us a chicken in every pot? right? And we also, we also evaluate not only the ability or the nature of the promiser, but we evaluate the character, don't we? We say to ourselves, even if for an instant, well, maybe this is going to be one of the kind of leaders who actually has the power to keep a promise, but won't keep the promise. He can do it, or she can do it, but she won't do it. Well, in the first part of the review of all that this preacher of Hebrews has been talking about, he makes reference to the fact that those saints that have gone before 
knew that there was a promise. They knew that there was a promise, and he's making the point for us to notice that they staked their lives on those promises, that promise of God. And what is that promise? Well, it's the great covenantal promise that there will be a people of God who will be God's people, and He will be their God, and He will dwell among them, and they will be a blessing to the nations. And the pastor, the preacher, the writer of Hebrews has been speaking, and we've been studying all summer long the hall of fame, as we sometimes say, recognizing that Abraham and Noah and Enoch and Jonah and all of the people we've heard about based their lives on that promise, even though the full realization of that promise was yet ahead of them, because they based their lives on the fact that God, as creator of heaven and earth, can keep the promise, but He also has the character that He will keep the promise. Now, that's a miracle. It's a miraculous promise. Think about it. God makes a promise that thousands of years later will be fully realized. I mean, I don't know anybody that can make a promise about something that's going to happen 10 years from now, much less 10 millennia from now. So the very miraculous promise is that there is such a promise. And it is based on the very nature of God that He is powerful enough to do it, and He has the merciful character to do it. And in that mercy, He has provided a way for God's people to be taken into that promise. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that 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 merciful provision was the Holy Spirit of God, right? That God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Abraham. That's the very same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation. And all of the things that were symbols and signs of of God's promise-keeping ways, all of the temple and the sacrifices and the exodus and the crossing of the Jordan, all of that was the provision for God's people to know that God had not forgotten His promise. But the author of Hebrews says a remarkable thing that for us, there is an even better provision, and you know what that is. It is that all of those things that have shadowed, that have foretold, that have given given a picture to the coming Messiah, and now He has come. The more perfect provision is that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, has taken on flesh and dwells among His people, and that that same Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit now indwells those who are His. Now, that's a better provision. And then the author says something that's a little puzzling, frankly. Look at verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, those people in the past, should not be made perfect. How do we deal with that? What does that mean? Well, that word there, perfect, actually has two sort of meanings to it, baked into it, if you will. The first is maybe the more obvious, and that is that 
God is about the business of bringing together a people that grow up into the likeness of His Son, into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are counted as perfect, counted as righteous, based on the perfect obedience of Jesus. And then they live their lives becoming more perfect. But what this business about us contributing to the perfection of those folks? Well, it actually also contains the idea of completion. And so we mustn't miss the reality that the author, preacher, speaker of Hebrews is reminding us that, yes, it is about the faith of a person, but that person is joined together with the people of God. Think of it this way. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, the women's track team for the United States of America won the 4 by 400 relay at the Olympics. Now, y'all probably got some track people in the room. You know what that means, right? There's four ladies. They're going to run each one a lap. Well, think about what would have happened. And by the way, our team, our team won the gold medal. Well, what would have happened if runner number two had the best day of her life, took off, got the baton, took off like somebody had lit rockets on her shoes, and it came time to hand off that baton, and she shoved runner number three out of the way and said, I got this. I'm running better than I've ever run. Off she goes around lap number three. Comes to hand the baton to number four. Number four is in position, bumps number four out of the way. She's sort of fading now and actually crosses the finish line, sure enough, but last. Think about how that interview would have gone, right? They've got the microphone in her mouth before she can catch her breath. I said, what, what, what was that all about? You, you just ran the whole race by yourself almost. Well, yeah, I was having the best day of my life. I've never run that fast in my life. I could feel it, had the wind behind me. And you know the people in the booth would have been going crazy if not the person on the track with the microphone and probably would have coughed up something like, well, you understand, right, that, that it's, a, it's a team event. That yes, every single one of you has to run as fast as you can to be sure, but the whole team wins the medal, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sad to say that often I think we think about our life as a believer not unlike runner number two, who knows that there are other people on the track, but we're really kind of not related to them at all, and we're just going to head for the goal line, for the finish line. But our author has said, our preacher has said, that God has made a promise to have a people and He has provided a way for all of those people by the power of the same Holy Spirit to become the people of God. And there is something very deep and important about the reality that we are connected with one another. And finishing that review, he turns us now by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded... Let us also, looking to Jesus. And so what's he saying? Well, by way of preview summary, by the power of the same Holy Spirit, look to Jesus and in fact, run with all your might. Run with all your might. 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I want to take a second here because I think it's possible to read chapter 11 and hear chapter 11 of Hebrews and think of that as merely misty-eyed nostalgia. It's the same sort of in our minds sometimes as saying, George Washington could never tell a lie. You should never tell a lie. Honest Abe, honest Abe was an honest man. You should be an honest man. Now, while both of those things may be true, they're not causal, right? There's so, sort of no real punch to that. And that's emphatically not what the author has been saying all the way through Hebrews 11. That's not what he's saying. In about a month, I'm going to go to a high school reunion. It's one of the big ones. It ends with a zero. It's only the third one I've been to. At the first one, also ending with a zero, I won the prize for the graduate who had lost the most hair. And my goal in just about a month is to become the first ever graduate of John W. North High School to win the same award at two, two uh, reunions. Kidding about that. Now think about a high school reunion. You're going to be in a room of people that you barely know. You have some connection to them. You took the same classes, played in the same band. It's a reunion. But think instinctively how you feel what happens inside you if I had said in about a month I'm going to go to a family reunion. It's a different deal, isn't it? Room full of people, many of them you barely know. Some of them aggravate, aggravate you to death. But in fact, you're connected to them in a way differently than you are connected to the folks from your high school reunion, aren't you? And what, what our preacher is saying here is that because and through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of His Holy Spirit, our spiritual DNA has been altered. We have undergone recombinant DNA therapy on our soul. God is making a new race of people. God is making a new race of people, and we are connected to Abraham as if we were on the same genetic tree. That's the whole message about God gathering a people to Himself. That's the point about Rahab. That's the point about Ruth showing up as a Moabite in the family tree of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We have been altered by the Holy Spirit of God to be connected with the people of God. And so what our author is saying is, since we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, demonstrate the family trait. Demonstrate the family likeness. And we look to Jesus to do that because He is the absolute center point of humanity. It is the finished work of Christ. It is the finished work of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit which makes a family reunion possible because we are united to Him, the second Adam. So... Finally then, in summary, 
<laughs> what does all this mean for us? What does it mean for us, for you and me? Well, it means that clothed in the Spirit and looking to Jesus, there is a purpose for and a strength for the journey. It means that the same Holy Spirit of God that indwelt, informed, empowered all of those people we've been hearing about through their stumbling and fumbling lives sometimes, that Holy Spirit indwells us now. The purpose for the journey is that we have been created to bear God's image in God's world. We have been made to be God's image bearers. That is our purpose. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is strength to move forward with the Lord, just as all of those people of old. And it also means that clothed in the Spirit and looking to Jesus, there is a destination at journey's end. There is purpose and strength for the journey, but there is also a destination for the journey. Just like the saints in every age, we seek a city that has foundations. We seek to no longer be wanderers. We seek to have something that is real, that is foundational. And the witness of Scripture is that God's people are headed there. God has promised it. He's provided the way to it, and He will travel there with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then, when all who are in Christ are accounted for, when all who are in Christ in every age, from every culture, are accounted for, we will with great joy enter His rest. On the night in which He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, less than 24 hours before He would be crucified, spoke of this reality to His disciples from John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Savior endured the cross for the joy that he gives to his people. So fix our eyes on Jesus and run with endurance, knowing that one day soon, we pray, we will together we will together at last be safely home
Amen.